just do your best and do your best all the time. And when you do your best, most of the time you do better than you think you will. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 46 of the show. Thanks for joining me. I hope you are well and your projects are moving along. I'm doing fine. I've got part two of my conversation with my developing mentor, Troy Harris, coming up. But before we get to that, here's a little of what I've been up to. So a couple of episodes ago, I said I would have an update for you on the site where I failed to get a permit through the tribunal process. Well, I'm pleased to say that we have submitted a new planning application for the site. This time, we have much lower number of townhouses with smaller footprints and a significant amount of landscaping. So we think we've addressed all the issues that were identified in the VCAT decision. So we'll see how this scheme goes. On the other project, the architect is working on a massing model so we can start to see how the buildings will look and what sort of exterior treatment will work best for the location. We still have some way to go before lodging an application for that project, I think. And just quickly before we get back to Troy, congratulations to the people who have signed up for the mentoring program. It's exciting to see people following their dreams and investing in their futures. I look forward to hearing how they progress. If you are interested in learning how to develop property, then email me, justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com, and I can share some information about the mentoring program offered by Troy Harris. I think it is a great program, and will give you all the tools and resources you need to become a successful property developer. And maybe listening to Troy in the last episode has inspired you to take the next step or to get in touch. As a listener to this podcast, you get an incredible saving off the course fee. Okay, let's continue on with the discussion with Troy. In part one, we covered how Troy went from toy store owner to renovator to developer. If you missed it, go back to episode 45 and take a listen. And in part two, we talk about how Troy's property business has evolved over the years, how you can stand out in a softening market, and the importance of momentum. Keep an ear out for Troy's tip on how you can become a better developer. So let's rejoin the conversation. I was asking Troy what he most focuses on now to ensure his projects are a success. What are the things that you focus on most now for your projects? You've got quite a few projects under the belt. What two or three things do you most focus on now to ensure they succeed? Profit. Um, it, really, it really hasn't changed. It comes down to being you know, a project with a worthy profit of being able to do it. I've, one of the most common questions I've asked, how much is enough money? How much is enough profit? And it really does... Um, depend on what the circumstances are, what, what's the risk, how much time it's going to take. Um, for me, if I was going to delve back into doing a reno again, as we spoke about, that would need to be a lot more profit than just a straight knockdown bill because it's going to take a lot more of my time. If it was something that was a, a much a bigger project that um, would then the opportunity cost would be that I can't do more projects, would need to have, have more profit. But if something was a quick in and out um, pretty simple, very little or no money in, doesn't take a lot of time, I can be out the back end real quick, well, it doesn't need to be a whole lot of money. I used to um, do this when I used to run the seminars. I'd say, who would do a project with a, a profit of a million bucks? Every hand in the room would go up and say, okay, who would do a project with a profit of 30 grand? And you might have you know, two or three people sort of sheepishly put up their hands. and All right, well, you don't know the circumstances. For the million dollars you need to sell your home, you need to go and live in a box and you have, you know, have, you know, 
I've come up with all these... $200 million in costs. Yeah, and you, and you don't get your profit for 30 years. And all of a sudden, all those hands go down really quickly. But for the 30 grand one, no money in. You go and buy the... You, you buy it, no money down. You flip it in, in a month's time to another buyer who's going to develop it. And you get 30 grand in a month. Who do that? And all of a sudden, all the hands change. Now, so where everyone says, oh, I'll do it for a million, the circumstances lead to, you know, hang on, I wouldn't do that for a million bucks. But for 30 grand, oh, that's, that's not a whole lot for development. But if you can get in and out with no cash, very little time, and back in a short period of time, 30 grand, you're not going to sneeze at 30 grand. So it still just comes down to the same old things that it always did. If I look at a project, is it worth my while? Do I say it's worth my while to go ahead with this project? Will I be happy with it at the end? And, of course, all the, all the same old research rules that I, I need to be sure that, you know, when I'm looking at this, what I expect to get out of it, I will be able to build what I expect to build for that price I expect to, to build it for and to get those sales prices. And that thus leaves you a profit. Is it worthwhile? You know, in two years' time when I'm, you know, I'm settling the last property, am I going... Gee, that was worthwhile doing. Or, gee, I wouldn't do that again. Um, and that's that's what you're going to do before you buy it. So were there any projects along the along the way where you had that feeling? I don't want to do that again. Renovations. <laughs> and <laughs> you didn't? That, the ones that contain the renovations. Well, that said, I would still consider. Um, it, it's entirely different to renovating a vacant place and renovating the one you live in. That's um, mm. a completely different kettle of fish. But look, if the, the renovation was basic, that I didn't have to do a whole heap to, um, and again, the, the profit was good enough, particularly if something like the, the house is in good condition, the, the, the main thing with developing, with keeping a house, is to make sure the outside looks good for the new ones you're building. Because if that looks crappy, you're probably not going to sell for the same price the new ones as you would, because, you know, you're driving if you live in the back backyard of a, a crappy house you're driving past that a couple of times a day or more so it's sort of it's like having a crap house next door you know that devalues a little bit but if you're a nice looking house and and over the time we've taken some old weatherboards and given a, a nice modern coat of paint something that, that fits and sort of matches in with the new ones at the back and they've haven't detracted to the the price at all all right and so along the way with the developing you touched on this. You were growing a property network as well at some point. Did you have a property group? Yes, we, we used to run um, monthly events, which um, started off when uh, first started in property when I decided that, okay, I'm going to get started in property. And that was back before we did the renovation. Going, well, I think it's probably clever to hang out with people who do property. So who do I know? And very, very few people that I knew actually did property apart from you know, owner-occupiers, people who, and I'm like, well, I hardly know anyone. I think it'd be wise to get to know. So, so I went on uh, a forum and said, look, who wants to meet up? And end up there was a few of us met in a, uh, I think it was about five of us met in a cafe in, um, in Oakley. It was all a bit, bit weird, a bit awkward. It was all, all a bit like a blind date type thing. And did you all wear red carnations so you knew who each other were? I think I think we um, wasn't me that organised the table. It was a lady who lived down near there, and I think we had a table at the back or something. But it was a Sunday afternoon. It was really busy, and we just couldn't hear and everything. So 
I um, through the my business at the time I was involved with uh, a business group which had nothing to do with property. Um, there was a guy who ran one of the quest departments, and I knew that he had a little conference room. So you would you know use a conference room on a Sunday afternoon, would you? No. And he said. Uh, long story short, he said, "I'll oh, have it, and look, you know, five bucks a head, and I'll throw in coffee and tea. All great." So um, I thought that's got to be a whole lot better than a, a loud cafe. So um, I booked that and I put up on the forum that on this day that, you know, we'll sit around. It's just sit around a board table. There's 12 seats. We had five to the last one. We had six or eight people. That'd be pretty good. Anyway, about a week before um, we do to have this, I've worked out there's going to be about 30 people coming. I've gone, I've got no idea what I'm supposed to do. We can't fit around the table. So the only thing I could do would be like have someone speaking up the front and going, well, I haven't done anything in property. So I can't talk about it. So I think by this stage, I'd just bought my first uh, property was a buy, reno, sell. So I got my real estate agent to come in and talk. And of course, real estate agents love to talk and hold a room full of potential uh, customers, uh, clients for them. So, um, but I guess I've just gone, well, I kind of have to MC this thing. And I've never done any public speaking or anything. So um, you had to get up and introduce the... Um, the agent, and then sort of he spoke for a little while, and and being a, a, a group of people probably similar to to myself was pretty shy and um, didn't you know didn't really have a lot you know sort of of, of knowledge. So the questions ran out really quickly, so I'm having to come up with all these questions. Um, so that, that was the start of our, our group, and we sort of we were there for a little while until we kind of outgrew there, and we sort of moved on to some bigger premises and got bigger and better speakers. And as we went on, I actually had some stuff I could talk about, you know, sort of the, the, the lessons that I'd had, and the, um, you know, then we went high tech and put some photos on our computer and put on our screen, and so we could talk about the pictures on the screen. And we're, we're going real high tech here, and sort of that grew. And we ran that for uh, for for a number of years. We had some some pretty high profile speakers. I think we had oh, well over 150 people there once for um, for Steve McKnight and, and we had Dave Bradley and Dean Parker. They were all there. And we had well over 100 people in these rooms, and and that that was really the good while it lasted. But um, I guess the energy for it ran out in the end, as um, I was advised that it would, and it was um, from someone who'd been there before me, and it was absolutely correct. And it just got to the point where it was just really hard. Put you know when I knew I had to put together the slides and organise all the who was coming and, and everything else, and it just just got a little bit hard. But um, there's a, there's a few of those groups still going on around Melbourne, and you know if anyone's uh, interested in going on to those, I, I recommend just make sure that anyone who's trying to sell something there, if they've got a property to sell, that's not the, that's not the place to go to, because they're not they're not there to educate you; they're there to uh, pick your pockets. And at some point along the way, you started up a property developing training program. Well, that was actually interesting. It was uh, Troy Small, who's um, one of the coaches on the program now, who I did some projects with. Um, That was when I had four projects on the go up in Ballarat. And we were running these monthly meetings and there was a whole lot of interest. And, and as I'd gone further down the path of uh, developing, the, the more and more interest in the developing, I was getting more questions around that. So uh, while we'd, we'd have guest speakers who'd be doing um, renovations, some would be doing flips and a whole lot of different strategies coming through, a lot of the focus was getting towards the developing. It was just a natural progression, I guess. And Troy said to me, he's gone, I've never seen anyone with four projects at four different stages. You need to put, you need to show people this, and that sort of sprung the idea. So, not long after that, we'd organised a, um, a trip. I think everyone drove to Ballarat. We'd organised a bus 
to drive from site to site and we ended up with a <clears throat> with the, the final site so we had i think we had one was just on finished one i think it was at slab stage one i think we just cleared the site and one had just gone to council two doors down from the last one um was a site that just got on the on the market which was similar to the one two two doors up and so we use that as an example so we had Gee, I can't remember, maybe 20 people came along and we got up there and we you know, got the local um, bakery to do bacon and egg rolls for brekkie and coffee and stuff like that. We had a bit of a bus tour. And we came around and we, we did the final, which was uh, um, the sample site. Like, okay, you've seen all this. Now's the real one. This is live. Someone can buy it. If, and let's go through and we'll work out what we're going to do and had a bit of an idea because I think we'd spoken with the draft earlier on in the day and we'd spoken with the water authority and stuff. So we've gone and, and did a, a, a real full-on research. And long story short, like everyone went off and did their own thing and come back. Would they buy it? Wouldn't they buy it? And, and it was a, a project with a real big renovation. The house was in really poor condition. So a lot of people were out. That wasn't their thing. A lot of people said, I can't get to Ballarat to do all this. And I'm, okay, did that's the correct answer if it's not for you it's not for you but one guy was a builder um, who um, self-employed builder who, who ended up buying it and do, doing the project and building I think it was five on the back and doing doing quite well and that started him off to being a developer and I think now he does more developing than, than building work for anyone else um, so that was that was a really nice finish to that and it was also for those, for those who didn't buy it that they showed that they did everything that they needed to do to buy one. And there was quite a number of said that, you know, that was the thing that got them started. That that, that day, that bus tour was the thing that, that uh, kicked them off. And we've run some bus tours in Melbourne since then. I haven't run another one up in Ballarat and um, some in-room stuff. We, we don't do that anymore, but um, there's been a lot of people come through and, um, and look, you know, I'd love to be able to say that everybody's you know, kicked off to, to be de- doing developing and um, and everything else. But um, while it's only, uh, to be honest, I, I couldn't even give you a, a figure because a lot a lot of people just you know, never hear from again and you just assume that they're doing nothing. And a few years later, they ring up and say, "Hey, guess what? I finished my first project or something." So a large number of people have, have, have gone on to um, to. You know, start developing. Some do one and say, "Ah, too hard. It's, you know, I didn't sleep for a year. It's, it's enough for me." And and others can't wait to quit their job and they're now full time developing and, and everything in between. Yeah, so I was fortunate because I went through with a group who seemed to have a bunch of people that were quite serious about developing and have gone on to do multiple projects and doing developing full-time so that was pretty exciting to be able to meet them and stay in touch with them yeah, you had a great group there that, that was a really good that, that was probably the most consistent strong group of people who i i over time i've developed a gut feel of who's going to go on with it and who is a bit more of a tide kicker and maybe convincing themselves that they're going to and that was just yeah that even though i had a really good feeling about that group it exceeded my expectations it was just a really good group and and no doubt that that fed off each other as you said that maybe the the group as individuals would not have been successful overall if they hadn't been together as a group and so somewhere along the line you formalized a training program just beyond bus tours yes that's right talk us through that um i guess it was an extension of that that um you know it couldn't just keep running bus tours and, and, and people wanted more that was a one day thing and i knew some people who'd done some uh renovation um, courses there might be a you know a four or six week renovation course and and they'd gone and done that and they gave them some confidence to go off and buy a, a project and then they go back for 
you know, from, from further guides, got oh, your, your times run up. If you want to, it's four hundred bucks an hour or something like that. On, oh, okay, that's. I guess that's kind of what I was doing with the bus tours, give them as much as I could in that day and, and, and everything else, but there wasn't anything following on from that. Well, that was good enough for some people, and that, that was great, and those people have gone on, you know, fantastically proud of that. Um, but there's other people who, you know, everyone's different. Some people need you know, hand-holding for a bit longer, and we didn't have that. So we thought, okay, well, how about we, you know, for those who are, um, are really good at this but do realize that they do want a little bit more help beyond that day that once they've actually got the project they're going to have questions that let's let's build something a little bit longer so we built up a 12-month program so that's enough to get you to the point where by, by the time you're up to 12 months most of the stuff's out of your hands you've you know you've through council you started building you've got your agent set up all the all the hard stuff all the scary stuff all the risky stuff is is out of the way um, plus, once that, that program finished, there's still people saying, hey, we still want to be able to ask you questions and stuff. So basically, it's once you get to the, towards the end of the, uh, to, at the end of the 12 months, it's if you want to opt in, it, it goes on. It goes on for quite some time. And we've had, I've still got some people from the original program from I think probably about five years ago now s- still um, with me. And, you know, sort of every week or two, we will catch up and, and have a chat and answer any questions and strategize and, and so forth moving forward and and uh, I hope I'm still adding value to them even though there are you know several projects under the belt now yes well I know that we've partnered up with you and your program to help people who are interested in doing developing so uh, yeah, I think it's a really good 12-month course certainly got me started and I still use all the a lot of the checklists and the feasibility spreadsheets and things. so, so do I. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, but look, it's great you've um, you've come on board with that because it got to the stage where, with my focus being elsewhere, the the, the promotion of it wasn't there. Whereas <clears throat> when I used to run the, the groups and, and do some webinars and things like that, there was a, a constant stream of people coming to me, um, out asking you know, you know for, for help, and and I haven't had the, the the time to be able to to market that or to do those. Uh, programs, so, sorry, not the, the the mentoring program, but to do the the events and so forth and the webinars to um, to introduce myself to to these people. So the the um, the amount of people coming through to, to to be introduced to the program had dropped right off. But now with uh, your, your your podcasts and the success of those and the and the following you've got now, for those who have, who are interested who um, want to go ahead with developing and, and, and find that that's the way forward for them, um, they've now got an opportunity to find us and and then to come along and have a look at the program and, and see if they think it's for them. And if it is, well, obviously, the, for people who are um, you know, keen to do it and, and willing to do um, what it takes, we're, we're happy to take on board. And, and and of course, there's going to be others who come along and say, look, you know, that's not quite um, for me. And and maybe you know, developing is maybe not that strategy for them. Um, it might be renovation or something else, but it's important to find out and find out if it is or not. Because, it, like I said, it's, it comes down to really once you decide, um, once you decide you're willing to do what what it takes um, and go forth and, and get the help that you need. Well, you know, I'm a great believer that anybody can do this. It's it's not as complicated, provided you know what you're doing and you're willing to do what you know what what it, what it takes and, and to follow the guidelines of the the program and the coach and, and so forth. Yeah, and I think that's probably the most value that comes from being mentored or having someone there with you is to answer the questions or answer the questions that you may know to ask. Yep. But more importantly, the ones that you don't know. 
Oh, certainly. The, the Donald Rumsfeld, the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. And, the you, unknown and you don't unknowns. know what you don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, look, I've quite often have someone will bring a, a, a project and say, look, I'm thinking about buying this, and I've got all these questions, and I go through those questions. But there's also, have you thought about this, that, and the other, and don't forget to go through that checklist and check that module um, and, and go and re, you know, re-watch that module and then come back to me and, and, and see. Because I'm, I'm one to teach you to fish rather than to give you a fish because they're the lessons that really stick in your mind they're the ones that you remember and they're the ones that you'll you know when the time comes um if you because there's a number of people have gone through the pro- program done a project or two and moved on so hey look thanks very much uh, but i don't need the hand holding anymore I'm, I'm pretty confident and they go off and that's where it's important for them to remember those lessons so that's where i'll, I'll quite often won't hey here's an answer on, have you asked that question and with the people that you've spoken to over the years that have inquired or have either not gone ahead or gone through the program, what are the kind of, I guess there's a lot of, there would be fear stopping people from going ahead? There's lots of fear, yeah, yes. So if, what are the kind of fears or what are the kind of other common questions or issues that people bring up with you when they're doing their research or their due diligence about joining the program? Um, there's the... I guess there's the property side of things, the, the, the process and the strategies. But most of it's mindset. I, I didn't realise when I started this that um, mo- most of my work would be around the mindset because I, I, I guess I didn't realise it, it's the old, you know, sort of you really learn it when you teach it. Um, I hadn't learned how much at the time the, the mindset was so important to me until I actually start talking to other people and I've gone, she you're just like I was and I, I understand how to overcome that there where it's just a matter of just getting rid of all the all the reasons why not and we can have all these things the, the what if this goes wrong, what if that goes wrong and all the rest of the things and if you do follow the process and do do all your due diligence then you actually eliminate that until you run out of excuses not to. You know, you might go, oh, why can't you do it? You write down five things. Okay, what are your five things? We write that down and just go, well, blah, blah, blah. And you go, and we, can, we, we solve that problem. Okay, all right then. And then the next one, oh, but, you know, you, I can't do it because of this. And I'm confident that you won't have an answer to this. And then we go through and go, well, actually, you do this, you do that. You go, oh, okay. And all of a sudden you're going, oh, we've put a line through everything on the page. And at that point, that's where there's almost like this imaginary light bulb goes off and going, I actually can do this. And it's just having the belief, because of the, I think it's really sad that humans, I think um, our, our positive is always outweighed by the equivalent negative, whereas realistically, if they're equivalent, they're equivalent. But we always have a more of a negative mindset to things than, than a positive. And I, I don't know where it originated from, but um, you see it in, you know, just as you come across people in general life, that's the way it is. And um, if we can turn that around to you know, not the why not, but the why and how, um, how can't I, how can I, and things like that. And that, that opens up a, a lot of doors. And, and once those closed doors are gone, they've been eliminated, well, there's no reason not to. And that's where things just change enormously. It, it is like the clouds get blown away and the sun comes out and, and people's eyes light up and gone, I can do this. And that's the point where things change. And I've seen people say they can't do it for six months. And then once they believe it, two weeks later, they'll have a project that they buy or is very, very close to buying. And then that changes. And then quite often that, that one that they near miss, gone, you're that far away. You've, you've had a site. You've done everything you needed to do to buy the site, but someone's gone and paid 50 grand more than what it's worth. You've missed out. 
That's unfortunate. Would have been nice, but not worth paying the extra fifty grand for. But if that guy didn't exist, if he had bought the other property last weekend and he wasn't there, you would have bought that property. You would have done that. You would have been successful just by following that process because you've done everything you've needed to do to up at, up to this point to do it. You've done all the research. You know what you're going to build on. You know what you can get on there. You know what your build your build prices are because you've done the research on the builder. You know what the sales prices are because you've done all the all the research on the sales prices. You've done ninety percent of what you need to do to be successful here. So when the next one comes up, you do exactly the same thing and successful. Yes, I remember having a conversation with you at one point in my first project when I was staring down the barrel of getting a permit for 20 townhouses, <laughs> thinking, how the hell am I going to do this? All those common fear questions coming up. What if I go bust? What if it doesn't work? What if they don't sell for the price? What if it costs more to build? And I remember having a conversation with you where we went through it. You're like, we've got a fair bit of margin for error, don't you? Prices have got to drop, whatever it is, thirty or forty thousand for you to on all of the townhouses for you to even look at making a loss. Do you think that's likely to happen? Probably not. And you kind of work through it, and you go. And I ended up realizing I can do this. I've got a fair bit of room to move here before it completely goes to custard. And look, that's just very natural because, particularly on a, on a large project like yours, it just because the numbers just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and, um, and and it's it's natural for fear to come in, but it's just a process of just I guess, calmly going through the process, and so and, and that was the reason. Like I can't remember what stage you're at at that point, but um, we just went through back to the, the four pillars. They're like you know, what are you going to be able to put on there? What's it going to cost to build? And what are they going to sell for? And then the, the profit left over. I think that I do recall that conversation. And, and all we did was what your projected profit was divided by 20 equals how much profit per unit and how much price that, that each, each and every one of them would have to drop by, even just to break even. And I can't remember what the numbers were. But I remember, because I, there must have been a phone call, because I just remember almost hearing a click that you're like, okay. And that was like, that was one objection that wasn't an objection anymore. And I think there was a couple other minor ones, but that was the main one. And once that was gone, and that and that's something that another set of eyes does for you. And that, did, that didn't have to have been me. That could have been, you know, if you, you could have been a you know a friend of yours. If you had said, oh, I'm a bit stressed about this, showed them the numbers. If that friend had been able to just go, well, hang on, you you know that divide by twenty equals that, and that would have worked. And it's just it, it just we need another set of eyes. And you know, myself, I I've got a, a number of people that I know you know who are developers and um, that I go to I when I'm designing a, a property there's you know there's things where you don't always get the exact design that you want sometimes you've got to sacrifice some cupboard space to get a bath in you might and, and various other things who am I selling that to what demographic is that now which of my friends is in that demographic is it a, a first home buyer I'll go and I'll go and speak to some young friends and I'll say what would you choose do you choose more cupboard space or a bath or whatever the case may be or an extra toilet over a, a study nook or whatever the case may be and I'll go to those people and if I ask five of them I'll generally get four of them five of them giving me the same answer it may not be the answer that I would have had but they're my demographic going to buy so it's not just experienced people that we can go to. It's um, obviously with the, the core function of developing, you, you do need to because my first home buyer friends aren't going to help me with the development process, but they can help me with what a first home buyer is looking for. Whereas if I ask someone else, um, you know, for, it might be a, 
say, for example, a, um, a young family or a single mum or something, she's going to want cupboard space and she's definitely going to want a bath, maybe not so much the study nook. So, you know, different demographics and um, going to the right people and asking the, asking the right questions of the right people. And, and that's, that's building a team. The, these friends of mine are the first home buyers. They don't know they're part of my development team. They just think they're just helping out with a question. Yeah, and that, that's an experienced developer does that. I mean, I still do that. Talk to colleagues about developing type questions and talk to people in the team about whatever area of specialty they might have. So it's, yep. You can't have all the answers. And particularly with the, the, the layout of, of, a, of a home, because over a development site, you quite often get a variety. Some, sometimes you get two and three bedrooms, some sometimes four, some of single double stories, some have got extra living areas, some are quite tight and cheaper and things like that. So you do have a variety. And what people get caught up is, oh, I don't like that. It doesn't matter what you like. Is you're not buying it unless you're actually going to buy it to live in, or maybe you might be thinking for yourself if if you're going to keep it for a long term hold, which which property is going to appreciate greater over the medium to long term. You're not the one. And to be honest, I don't like the browns that most of my development sites are. I wouldn't put that in my home, but that's what's popular. That's what's selling. So I do brown. It's, it's got it's got nothing. I unfortunately lived through the oranges and the browns of the you know the seventies and stuff. So maybe that stuck with me. But I would prefer not to have those colours. But they're the ones that work. So and I'm not the one buying. I'm not the one renting it. So I go with what you know my my clientele want before they even know it. I guess. <laughs> And speaking of stock, do you hold on to any of your finished products? Not as much as I'd like. It's as we've gone on, the the, the banks are wanting to hold, wanting you to put in more money. They're, they're holding less value on any of the properties that you hold. And with the, the um, funding getting a little bit harder, uh, also as you, um, as you increase, as we've grown, and most people that I've found who've continued to develop, they'll either do bigger sites or do multiple sites, just needing more cash and, um, you know, having that says cash out from a project, even though you're, you're paying the tax on it, to actually have that cash to put into the next project so you can do more. Because um, yeah, some people just go, oh, well, don't, you know, don't like paying the tax. And look, none of us do. I don't know anyone who likes paying tax. Um, but if that enables you to make more profit or do a bigger or more projects to make more profit that you unfortunately have to pay, to pay more tax on but make more profit on um, well yeah I think it's a it's a wise strategy well there's that great saying that if you're paying tax it means you're making a profit yes absolutely and, and it's um, I think it was Steve McKnight make sure you pay no more tax than the minimum uh, you're legally required to but pay a lot of tax <laughs> I think at one stage you kept one of your completed properties as a showroom or as a display home. That's right. I don't think you have one anymore, do you? I don't have the display. I still have that home. I have it as a, it's tenanted now. Yeah. Um, that was at a stage where um, it was probably the, the busiest I'd been. I, I can't remember the exact numbers. I think I had some like 20 or 22 units that were upcoming in, um, off the plan in the next... Um, maybe 18 months or something like that. So I, I quickly did some sums on what that property would be worth rented um, versus um, basically the old division, again, divided up over um, how much um, or how many units. And I can't remember what the numbers were, but it worked out a very small amount per week, per unit off the plan that I could potentially sell to keep this. And I decided that was part of my 
marketing strategy that um, the hardest part about selling off the plan is you've got nothing to show someone. But if you can take someone for a walk through, um, walk through this unit so you can actually feel and see and touch and everything like that and say, hey, look, same designer, same builder, same, 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 same. You know, here's your plans. They're different plans to what you're standing in. Um, but this is what it's going to look like inside and out. The, the same, same bricks, the same... Um, materials, everything the same, um, and that really helped with the sales. So that that paid for itself. When we got through that phase and didn't have that many off the off the plan to sell, um, then all of a sudden it wasn't as viable. So I, I put a tenant in there, and I've had a tenant in there since. Because I remember thinking, God, that'd be so great to have a display <laughs> suite. Yeah, but at the time it made very little difference in terms of our sales. But I wonder with a slowing market whether that may then be become another added advantage or something that you could do to get a bit of an edge i, I certainly think so because the the property market we've been in as a developer over the last year or two the the focus to be successful is finding profitable sites that's been the hard bit as the market resumes normality i guess um that means it, it's getting a bit easier to pick up sites getting a little bit harder to sell them so your focus comes on sales. So how can we be a little bit different now? You know, not many people are going to be able to um, have a be able to keep one without having any tenants in to, or, or particularly starting out, you don't have one to start with. But before I did that, even still when I was up in Ballarat, the the real estate agent up there because. They had a whole little cubicles. You know, if you're looking to buy a property, the agent will take you in a little cubicle and sit you down and you know try to convince you why you should pay an extra five or ten thousand dollars to uh, to buy this property. Um, they had a number of them, and they had some spare ones. So I went and got my colour boards. So I had my tiles and I got little paint sheets and uh, a number of different things. I got some. I think I got some floorboards, um, and I owned. Or one of these little cubicles. So someone who came in, this is the old days when they used to have the um, the properties out in the front and the windows of the real estate agents. People would stand out the front and have a look and come in and you know, talk to the agents rather than just sending inquiries via email now or te- even text now more than email. Um, but they'd come in and they'd say, look, you know, off the plan and things like that. And I had photos of previous ones. I'd had blown up and laminated in there. So you come in and have a look at this one. These are the addresses you can drive past and check them out. Um, here's all the colours and everything like that. You can see the tiles and see how it's a nice neutral colours and everything like that. So it was just a little bit more than what my competitors had, where they just had some crappy little black lines on a page on a, you know, on their um, real estate advertising, um, which you look, and quite often they were even out of out of focus. But where I had artist impressions and I had the colours and things like that, that just stood out a little bit. When I got down to Melbourne, I had that you know, twenty, I think, um, units to sell off the plan well um, by this stage most of the developers in Melbourne were doing something similar to what I was doing so how am I going to stand out how Um, because although the the quality of of mine were probably a little bit better than most of the competitors nobody knew that how can I show them so you know the the amount of money I I lost through not having rental um, and what I paid to have some staging furniture um, in the property and always stage everything obviously not off the plan but everything that's completed stage even you know if i was to do a renovation again or anything like that always stage so i had that in there and that that paid for itself many times over all right so it's been a bit of a journey for you from renovation to it has to developer to mentor what do you think you've learned about yourself along the way 
I think it's a, it's probably something I learned from from becoming a father, where you you, you want to do the best thing by your kids. And um, what, one of the things that you know encourage my, my kids is that you know that the society now is like every, every every kid will go on a race and every kid gets a gets a, a first place type thing. And um, I'm, I'm not a great believer in that, but what what I believe in and I teach my kids is just do your best and do your best all the time. And when you do your best. Most of the time, you do better than you think you will, and that in itself was a, was a learning for me. I look back, and um, particularly at the time when I had a lot of things, I go, "People say, how do you do that?" And I just go, "Just do it." It's it, it's not a real it's not a real focus of thinking about. Oh, if I started thinking about how am I, how am I going to manage to do all this, maybe I won't be able to do it. But it's just like, hey, look, the stuff's in front of you. I'm I'm, I'm someone who is really good at doing stuff in front of you. you. Put something in front of me and ask me to do it. Um, I get it done pretty well, pretty quickly. But if it's like, then I've got to go. Well, I've got a spare bit of time. I need to create something to do. That's that's a little bit harder for me. That's my personality type. But to to just get stuff done and to do that. And when you do do that, and you take the attitude of doing your best, you actually probably do better than what, what you what you expect to do and particularly if, you, if you've just got the confidence that you know that there's someone someone there to help you and with my kids they know that i'm there cheering them on and you know support if they've got a question um you know relevant to our program that you know the people who start off and once they you know as i spoke about earlier when something triggers and all of a sudden their eyes open they've got the confidence in themse- themselves they've got the confidence in the person standing beside them holding their hand it just opens up the doors and the world's their oyster and, and five minutes later looking back and just going I'm so surprised that I was so timid or whatever because standing you know, just a few steps further on just going, I, I just see it completely different from now yeah I remember actually having that very moment at one of the events that you put on where we went around and had a look at some sites and then did some feasibilities and looked at work things work things out and I remember going home that night I recorded I distinctly remember recording an audio to myself while I was driving home saying, this this works, I can do this, you can do this. And from that moment, there was this, moment, you could feel the momentum slowly building. That's just that having that little kernel of confidence to keep moving on, keep progressing. Well, that was the, the aim of the project was to get out and have a look at some stuff. I think from memory, we, we saw some things that were complete and we saw something that was on the market, and then we went, and as a group, we, we evaluated we, the pros and the cons, what we might be able to do, what we can't do, and then we did some numbers and things like that, and I think from memory, the project didn't quite work, but we are pretty close, and we went through a, a number of pro, processes, okay, well, it doesn't quite work, what offers could we put in to, to get it, and I think from memory, not long after, I noticed someone, someone else must have bought it and developed it, and they were doing along the same process as, as what we'd proposed, and that, that was quite interesting, someone, maybe it was someone who was there that day who didn't let on, but... Um, Interesting process, and it, it is just that, and so much of it is just the confidence. and And some people they can read a book, and they can go off and do it, and they're, they're confident, and away they go. Some people can, you know, they might need a um, a weekend course and some notes and stuff like that. Some people um, just need some handholding. I I did myself. I may not have got started if I didn't have my friend who was an experienced developer up in Ballarat who could help me and, and talk earlier about sort of having that trigger of going forward or not. I was I was making excuses why I couldn't and I 
couldn't do it up in Ballarat because he was there and he was so good and he would get all the good sites and I couldn't compete with him and that's why I couldn't do it and it was only with a conversation with him I, after a couple of beers actually I think it was more than a couple um, I conceded to him that you know I'd like to do that but you know I, there's no point because he'd get all the good projects and everything like that I'd just be left to the rubbish and he said, oh, no, it'd be great because, you know, you know, you could use the same builder as me and everything and, and, you know, we'd have a little bit more pull for all this, all this team and everything. So what was actually a negative actually turned out to be a positive. And what I do have a clear memory was probably a little bit similar to you driving home that day. Um, it was because where we were staying, we were actually staying at the, the hotel. I remember a bit of a staggered walk back to the room and just remember, that's it. This is it. I can do this. I'm going to do this. And that, that was the, the light bulb moment for me, that my reasons why I couldn't do it were actually reasons why I could. Well, I think we all, uh, we had this conversation once before about being ready. You're kind of, wherever you are at that point in time or you're not quite ready, whatever it is, and then you hear something and the penny drops. Yep. But you just you have to be in that space, ready to receive it or ready to move on. Yeah, look, for, for me, it was, it was getting to that point because I'd not been doing anything for a certain amount of time that was getting to the point where I'm just going, look, if I don't do something pretty soon, I'm going to go and get that job. And as I said earlier, I was not much as an employee and I hated being uh, an employee. Um, I didn't want to do that again. And there was the fear of just going, if I don't do something pretty quickly, and maybe that was the trigger that and the beers that um, allowed me to ask the question to be, but I mean, we actually were in Ballarat when I had that conversation and maybe that's just where I was looking at that time when the penny dropped. And as I said, it's what you're looking at at the time. And I was looking at Ballarat, I was in Ballarat, I was looking at Ballarat and I'd looked at properties that day. And that's when I just got, you just went out of excuses. And that's, and that's where it started. So what would you say the best piece of advice or wisdom that's been imparted to you is? Oh, um, probably from, from Dave Bradley, my, certainly my first and, and greatest mentor was um, whatever you do, do something. Just, just do something. Don't do nothing. Just do something. Just doing something is getting you closer to something. But so many people just sit there and do nothing and they wait till well it's tuesday wednesday will be better uh wednesday is raining oh i'll wait till a sunny day and it's just making excuses just do something and if you could go back and talk to your younger self and give him some advice <laughs> when when would you go back to and what would you say to the younger troy oh gee actually um someone posed the question recently to a group of people about um if you go forward 10 years and have, I forget, an extraordinary amount of money or go back until you're 10 years old and know what you know now. For me, it's an easy choice. It's all based around knowledge. Um, I think young men aren't much chop until their late 20s or around 30. Um, And so I think if you'd sort of go back to probably that period, sort of like maybe the early 20s and just have a bit more belief and it comes down to belief and just having a go. And if you want to do it, do it. And, you know, you're, you're very, very likely to be successful at whatever you have a crack at. And if not, you know, the, the, the world won't end and you'll be better for it in some other way. 
Yeah, I often think that it's very common to have a fear of failure. But I sometimes, well, I think that people often, they also have a fear of success. Yes, yeah, certainly. What will happen if they actually do succeed? Because that will change their life. It, and it, and it that will have repercussions too. And it takes you out of your peer group in, in some way. There's, a, there's an old saying about um, this little girl's walking along, the, along a pier and there's an old fisherman there and he's got a bucket full of crabs. And she says, oh, mister, you better put a lid on. The, the crabs will get out. She said, no, no, they won't. She said, oh, they are. And that, just as that, there's a crab sort of reaches up and manages to hook onto the top of the, um, of the bucket and starts pulling itself up just about to get out and another crab reaches up and grabs it and pulls it back in and as humans we're like that we we encourage people to do something oh good on you and and when you look like succeeding we'll tell you why you can't do it because you can't be better and leave me behind rather than me trying to trying to be good and follow you and make my life better the easiest thing for me is to tell you no that, that won't work and try to put fear into your head. So don't you leave the bucket. Come back in the bucket with me. Now, this, this is fun and safe down here. And it's comfy. Don't, don't go out to the big wide world where you might be successful. And unfortunately, we're a lot like that. You know, some people are, are well-meaning. You know, don't do that. You'll, you'll lose your house and, and things like that. But a lot of, a lot of people just going, oh, don't leave me behind in the bucket. Yeah, I got that when I started doing the course with you from family. Yeah. What are you doing that for? I do hear that a lot. In-laws saying I was crazy and all this. People go broke doing all that sort of stuff. And my wife brought it up with me. Yeah. um, Last time I looked, your family didn't really have much experience with property developing. Oh, look, it's it's well meant and it it comes from the heart. They, they don't want to see you, you know, don't want to see you lose your home. You know, sort of that's, that's probably the, the main thing. Like, that's, you know, as a probably traditionally Australian, the, the number one main thing is like home and family, you know. As a man to, you know, find yourself a nice woman, get married, buy, buy a home, you know, have some children and pay off your home and, you know, and maybe retire early at 58 or something like that if you've done well. If you're real successful, maybe buy a, you know, a property, negatively gear it and, and you know, and, and make some make some money out of that, and that's that's the the ultimate success. As a, you know, I guess I was taught growing up, and I think probably most people of, of my era, it's changing a little bit now, which is great. Where you know back then it was probably a little bit gender biased. It was like find yourself a good woman, and you know, I guess for a, for a girl, it'd be like make sure you find a man who can look after you. Whereas you know now we're a lot more realistic, and you know, every, you know everyone being equal, and a woman doesn't need a man to look after, and all the rest of it. But that that was seen as the the core was the the home to buy. And own a home. Um, so f- from there, like you know, don't risk your home. Don't ever risk your home type thing. So um, I understand where it comes from from a place of um, f- from the heart. And and I've come with a lot of people. It's, it's not just you know, commonly. It's a, it's a, the male and the, the female sort of pulling back, saying. Um, you know, this is risky and, and look, I know of circumstance now where someone's in a project and the fear's overflowing. It's it's going from a little bit of fear to a lot of fear to the point where um, the project's at risk because of because of this and it's just a matter of, okay, let's, let's go through the process of calming this. And it must be very hard for someone who's got a partner who's holding back on them compared to... Um, you know, those who are supported, I guess there's three three types of support because quite often it's one person within a partnership who's who's actually doing the developing and there's the full support there. So whatever you need, whatever you need from me, I'll do that, I'll help you, um, give you whatever time if you need me to pick up the pieces that you can't do something else, 
that's great and that's that's fantastic those who've got that probably don't even appreciate fully appreciate how much support they've got there's the yeah look you can do whatever you want i trust you i I have faith in you but just don't don't make me miss my you know whatever it is that i'm doing um and then then it's the one where they're constantly on your back are you sure you know what you're doing you know i think this is risky i'm worried about this that must be really hard for those people to, to go through that so um it, it, it comes from it, it comes from the right place, but it just you know it just doesn't land quite so well. I'm glad you brought up the issue of gender because I've been wanting to ask this question for ages about why there's so many guys in property developing. It's a real sausage party. There's just there's just not a lot of women that, in my experience, that seem to be property developers. I know there's there are female developers out there, but Generally speaking, most of them seem to be male. What do you uh, think that is? Um, look, you're right. But look, I, I know several um, successful in, in developing and, and renovations as well, and things like that. Look, property is still probably still a, a male-dominated industry. I was just actually talking with my daughters this morning about um, well, there's the rubbish in the paper at the moment about you know they're not allowed to have Thomas the Tank and Barbies and things like that because of the gender. And I'm just going, oh, what a load of rubbish! You know, a boy can play with a Thomas the Tank or a Barbie, and girls can play with both and all the rest of the stuff. And um, this, you know, and that girls have equal opportunity at, at any job or anything they want to do. It's just, but that won't mean that there won't be an imbalance of numbers. Whereas I think for forever and a day there will be more men on a building side than than women. I think. Uh, more generally, men are, are more inclined to be someone that wants to build things than, than women, and that's, it's certainly not saying that women don't, but it's just probably more likely to be um, the hard labour type things. And um, not saying that they're any better, I just think it's, it's more likely to be that, and that probably flows on to that. Look, I don't know. I think maybe it's. it's I think it's certainly changing in in both uh, employment as well as entrepreneurship. Um, Maybe that's something that, you know, in, in reverse, while this, I'm sure there's plenty of men and very successful men in the, in the rag trade, there's more women there too. So it's just the way it is and where, where people land where they want to land. And I think that's important to, to choose something. You know, the old adage is, you know, the, the best job is to find a passion and make a job out of or make a business out of it. Um, maybe it's just more inclined to be that way. There's no, no particular reason other than that, I don't think. Yeah, well, I just see on my website with all the male photos of all the guests that come on the show. I'd like to have some females in there. So any female developers out there listening, please email me. Or if you know someone who's a female developer, please email me. I'd love to get them on the show. Oh, terrific. I'll, I'll, um, I'll put my feelers out because they'd, they'd be great because that, that flows on to encourage more because I, I can understand why there would be some women out there thinking a little bit intimidated being a, a boy's world now. Those who, you know, sort of go and do the same process as the men will find that, hey, that's, that's it's, it's not like, you know, the old scenario of buying a used car where, you know, you get get, get, get sniggered out if you ask where the dipstick is. It's not like that, provided you can actually not be that, that person who's almost doing that to yourself. If you just go up and you go through the process, if you, if you for someone who's come and start doing the, the 100K Club program um, and then go out and start speaking to builders and drafties, they will absolutely be seen as equal. And if if any of the builder or a draftie or anyone else within the business would um, 
even look down or in any different way, well, I'd, I'd certainly be saying you don't want to deal with that person. That's that's the wrong person, not just for the female, for anybody. So g- gender equality is, is should absolutely be there, and if anyone's not, well, they're not the right person to be dealing with. And, and if I knew someone who was like that, if I knew a builder who would say, oh, I wouldn't I wouldn't build for, for a female, just, oh, you're not building for me. Yeah, well, I know there were definitely women that went through the program with yep. us and... There's certainly, certainly, certainly so, been a number of them that's, that's been successful. Hopefully that's moving through yes. the industry. Now let's switch gears a little bit. So if you could sit down for dinner with any three people alive or dead, who would they be <laughs> and why? Oh, look, I, I think we'll, 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 we'll keep this to business because otherwise we could, could be well, all over no, the place. I've had all sorts of uh, <laughs> people nominated. Oh, the standard questions, are they? No, this, it's always, I think it's interesting to hear what, who people admire, who they choose to have dinner with. Okay, look, I, I don't think you go past Warren Buffett, um, you know, the, the world's greatest investor, and he's just not, he's not someone who got lucky, you know, he's not someone who got in at the right time, um, he's got very consistent methods, um, and he just and very, very simple methods. Um, a, a, a lot of his sayings uh, are just, they just, just true and they, they they follow through in so many areas of not just business but but in life um you know something like you, you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out you know and that's that's something that's really relevant to property people get lucky in timing in property where things are going in the right direction and they're successful and they they think they're pretty good oh gee i must be pretty good i made some money there and when you know the things normalize they go oh, hang on what's going on i'm, I'm I know what I'm doing. I must because I did well, and things like that. So, um, certainly Warren Buffett. Um, I one of my uh, people I most admire is his partner Charlie Munger. Okay. So Charlie's often overlooked, but he's uh, just as switched on as Warren is. He wrote a great book called Little Charlie's Almanac. So okay. people out there want to know why these two got to the top. Get that. Okay, that'd be really interesting because. Because Charlie's very, very smart as well. Oh, look, I'm sure if you spend your life around Warren Buffett, you couldn't help but be smart. But uh, and then and that's you know hanging around with or spending time with people who have you know more knowledge or um, um, success than you. It's just it, it just rubs off that um, you almost feel like you absorb knowledge. It, um, that look went back to a um, many long years ago a cricket coach of mine who'd um, you know, played at a high level, and um, I used to just buy him a beer on a Thursday night and just talk cricket. You know, I'd, I'd buy him as many beers as he was willing to sit and drink and talk to me. And I, I felt like I just absorbed knowledge about the game at, at a much higher level that I understood. Like, you know, with with sport, there's a, a lot of things like, you know, if you're, if you're limited in ability, you can only go so high. But you're, that doesn't limit your, your knowledge or your understanding of a particular sport. And my, my knowledge and understanding... Uh, increased immensely, even though my ability didn't follow through, um, just from having those conversations and, and, and understanding at a higher level. And I'm sure just having a conversation with someone like that um, would would be exactly the same. And, and I think there's there's none better. Well, if only you could have spoken to him in your share trading days. <laughs> but anyway, so we got Warren. Actually, with, with the benefit of hindsight, yeah, I think I've made some of the mistakes that uh, that he's advised against. Um, <laughs> Oh, gee, that's... 
it's, it's a tough question. Look, I don't know if there's any any others in particular. I, I'd, I'd love to have spoken with some of the leaders of, you know, sort of world leaders of, of, of past generations. It wasn't really a, a great interest of mine growing up, but um, having young young minds around me um, and very inquisitive minds and often having conversations around things that um, I wouldn't have had conversations around for decades as I opened my eyes to uh, things like that and what lives would be like and what decisions would be making like as, as much as I, you know, I'm against war, um, they're, they're a part of history and we can't change that. But the, the process of what the, the leaders, the decision they've, they've had to make to declare war or, you know, um, or to um, approve a, a strategy or things like that. Imagine the person who was, made the final decision to, to drop the bomb, you know, and, and stuff like that. Just uh, it must be... I, I can't fathom the, the, the pressure that, you know, someone someone of, of, of sound mind, whether, whether they're of sound mind or not, that might make it easy to push that button. But um, Yeah, I read a book about Abraham Lincoln last year, so I think he would be on my... On my yeah. list, he was a war leader. Someone that didn't really want to be in charge. Well, he was in charge while they were having a civil war, the country torn apart, having to lead the the Union Army and try and win the war, and then put the country back together. Very difficult. Yeah. So if I can if I can sneak out of the third one, it would be along those lines. There's no one, no one really in particular. Okay. Actually, I will add one. Don Bradman, being a being a cricket fan, and um, he he being statistically fifty percent better than the second best in the you know whatever it is one hundred and fifty years of cricket. That's that's pretty. Um, you know, we talk about some of the best sportsmen in in various other sports. How you know there's argument over who's the best basketballer ever, soccer player, and and all these international sports that you know as a batsman, you know, Don Bradman averaged ninety nine point nine four and. And there's a, a, a small cluster in the low 60s um, as the next best over a period of time. And, and, you know, you can argue whether the conditions were worse or better then compared to now. And, and you know, that's arguable. The numbers aren't. He's 50% better than the next best. Well, they had uncovered pitches back then, Troy. And you and I, being former or grade cricketers, know the uh, yes. <laughs> uncertainty that comes with uncovered wickets. Uncovered wickets and... Um, normal sized bats rather than massive bats and bigger boundaries and lack of fitness and everything and all that but look you could argue that the bowlers weren't as fit and all the rest of it you could argue that but there's nothing something you can't argue is statistically 50% better over a long period of time over the, the, the history of the game alright and your tip for developers out there your one tip or tips who are looking to take their developing business to the next level what would it be um, if you're talking uh, in this time frame, immediately, just uh, a little bit of patience as whether the market is changing a little bit. Um, don't buy just for the sake of getting in. Make sure that you, you, you've ticked all the boxes that you need to tick. Um, it can get a little bit impatient, um, particularly if you haven't, you know, and that, that, that's not just necessarily those starting out. One who, who might have done one and finished one and been waiting for the next one to come along might be getting impatient to do the next one. Just make sure you tick all the boxes. Um, and make sure your research is up to date. The prices have shifted a little bit. Make sure you're talking today's prices, not not even three or six months ago. And that, that, that's the main thing. Just make sure that that's because you know the, the, the two main prices are your sales price, your build cost. Um, build costs have moved up, but they always do. There's always increase in labour materials. That's always going to be the case. 
But, you know, the, 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 the sales prices do fluctuate a little bit on both your, your purchase and your sales. Just make sure you're dealing with today's prices. Um, generally, t- taking out the, the, the time frame of, of, of when we're speaking now, but, but overall, the, the number one tip is probably along the same lines. Those, the, the main thing is just make sure that before you buy the property that you know what is your highest and best use, what can you do with that property. There's no point buying a three-unit site and finding out you can only put two on there. You're probably going to lose money. Know how much is going to build whatever it is that you propose to put on there and know what it's going to sell for. Do your numbers on that and make sure that it's profitable enough and you've got enough fat in it so that if you know your prices do shift a little bit, um, that there's plenty enough money there so you're still, still making a decent profit. There's been so many people over the years who've rang me up and said, uh, I've just bought this great development site. What should I do with it? And I just, you don't know what to do with it. Why, why have you bought it? You know, oh, but it's a great development site. It's a 1,000 square metres or whatever it is. Going, what, what can you put on it? I don't know, but it's a great development site. You know, that could be that you can only put one on there. It could be you can't put any, depending on what you know, overlays or... Um, you know, that, that may be assigned to that, that property. Um, there's one of the early lessons in Ballarat was, you know, because the infrastructure is not so good, some of the stormwater and sewer, um, there, is, there might be a house at the front of the block that can have access to stormwater and sewer, but it, the, the, the property may fall away or may um, fall towards that house. You put them on the back, you haven't got access to stormwater or sewer. So what you can, you can literally build there you can't connect to these services, so you can't build there. So that's a great development site you, you've just bought is a one-unit sign. That house is already on it, and that's its highest and best use. All right, well, that's good advice. So if people are interested and they want to find out more about you or about the program, where should they go? Well, um, I believe you've spoken about the 100K Club program in the past. So, um, look, you're, you're as good a starting point as any. You've, you've been through the, the program. You've, you've successfully um, completed your early project. You're on to other projects now. Um, you, you, you know others in the program. Um, so that's a, a real good starting point. Um, quite often we'll have people who you know, want to speak to someone else in the program. You're it. You're you're the conduit to these, <laughs> but from there, those people who, who are keen to, to, to know more, keen to, to go ahead, um, then just get in, in touch with us, and we'll put you in in touch with uh, uh, Troy Small, who who's our coach. Um, he'll arrange a phone call and answer all your questions. Maybe ask some questions that you didn't know to, to ask, um, and then find out if that's something that you want to go down that path. And um, we're we're here to, to support people who uh, really want to go down that path. That at the same time, if that's someone who we feel that um, is not the right personality or maybe not at the right time to be able to be successful, um, we'll certainly point them back out the, the other way. Nicely, we're certainly not going to say, you know, go away, but just uh, we don't think that's the right time for you. Maybe come back. We Some people come to us without the access to enough funds. Uh, some people are not quite in the right spot or the right mindset might be come back later and some it might just be look maybe this thing isn't for you you maybe should you know go look at some other endeavors um because we're not interested in in, it's certainly not some i know some programs will take anybody on who will pay the money that that's not us um the, the the rule that i've made with troy small was um if you can't feel that you can work successfully with this person over it's, the programs at least 12 months and then ongoing if you choose to. So if you can't, um, if you don't believe you can work with them, then, you know, 
politely decline, and that's what we do. We, I think we probably decline more than we accept, just because some people just come with you know wide open eyes and just go, oh, oh this is great, I'm just going to make all this money, and and they just got the, the wrong mindset. They just expect oh, I'm going to I'm going to pay the money, join the program, and all of a sudden houses is going to pop up like they do in a cartoon, pop 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 pop, and I'm going to make a whole lot of money. And it would be great if that was the case, but it's not the case. It does take some work and it takes some, some time and some effort. And those who, you know, that we believe are willing to, to do what it takes, we're more than happy to help them and take them on and support them and for as long as they want for the, the, the initial 12 months. And, and as I said, this, this been, some have been with the program for, for many years now. Well, if anyone out there is hearing this and they're interested, just email me, justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com and we can take the conversation from there. But Troy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been a bit of a trip down memory lane for me in many respects and possibly for you, but thanks for sharing your stories and insight about property developing. Thanks, Jackson. I really appreciate you having me here um, and hope we've been able to provide some information and a little bit of inspiration for those out there. And um, yeah, really, really appreciate appreciate the opportunity to have that um, trip down memory lane and um, hopefully uh, be able to come back on and uh, answer some more questions down the track alright Troy thanks for coming thanks Justin okay there you go a long chat with my original property developing mentor I trust you picked up some golden nuggets of information and inspiration during that conversation it was fun for me to revisit some memories and talk with Troy his mentoring really has changed my life and doing his training program was one of the best things I have done Perhaps it has inspired you to learn how to develop property or find out more about Troy's program. If so, then email me, justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com. Otherwise, here's three things I took out of my conversation with Troy. One, momentum is invaluable in property developing. I liked how Troy talked about how quickly you can generate momentum once you decide to take action. I can still remember the feeling during my first project when I started gathering momentum and I could sense that there was nothing that would stop me from finishing it. And it all came from slowly chipping away at things. In developing, you want to maintain progress and not get stopped, because once you stop, it can be hard to get the train moving again. So what action are you taking today to get your momentum started, or to keep it going? Two, stand out from the crowd. Troy gave some great ideas on ways you can stand out from the crowd, particularly in a softening market. He talked about doing a little bit more than your competitors. Can you get better renders, offer better inclusions, or have better staging in completed properties? Take a look around the market and see what is going on and determine what you can do better. Three, always do your best. I really like this simple yet powerful piece of advice. Always do your best. Keep trying your best and surprising things might start to happen. So try it. Keep trying your best. Keep chipping away and watch that momentum start to build. Okay, if you enjoyed that conversation with Troy, why not jump into the archives and take a listen to episode 34, where I speak with North American developer Kirk Miller, who switched from architect to developer to maintain control of the development process. He also shared this piece of gold from his years of experience. So what I found is that in the design process, try and stick as close as you can to the universal elements of beauty as opposed to the stylish or faddish elements of beauty. I'm sure you will enjoy that discussion with Kirk. Don't forget to check out my Instagram and Facebook pages for my latest developing videos, photos and news at Property Developer Podcast. 
You can also find all the past episodes of the show at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com. And until next time, may you do your best every day. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas, and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.